So we did the Wizard Tower episode. For those of you who haven't listened to the Wizard Tower episode, go back and check it out. It's one of our specials. Um, it's the four hour long one. Yeah, it's uh, it was a lot of fun to do, but I'm still getting people message me out of the blue about it, mm. and that they message me specifically going, "Wow, you guys, you did this crazy body horror thing. I did that with the mirror, right? Yeah, the, yeah." And, and they were like, "Dungeons and Dragons is never scary. That was really scary." And I'm like, "It, it that was average to me." How do you guys want to handle horror in D and D? Oh yes, Adam, what a good question, right? So uh, I don't, I don't want to roll initiative for this. But I'm just like, no. and I don't want to talk Curse of Strahd. No, that's not horror. That's gothic ambiance, right? Mm, yeah. Like, what, what is, what, I, when you do horror, what are you doing for horror? Because I try to inject it in all my games. You guys have seen like the undead pirate ship that was sunken and the shadow fell. Like, how do you guys do it? I'll go. Okay. You're yeah, you way more excited about this because, like, I, I have a good <laughs> answer, but, like, I have a feeling you and I will be on different okay. camps here. You think of, about anything that has ever scared you, ever. Any type of horrific thing. Dance fly it, down. It, it is not about the thing. Terry talking to me about fitness. <laughs> <laughs> Exercise will make you live longer and you'll feel better. How strangely attracted I am to Keanu Reeves. <laughs> He doesn't hate. Don't! You always do this to me when I'm talking. Alright, go. When you're afraid, it is not the scary thing presently. It's what could happen. What you think will happen. It's the anticipation. It's the anticipation. That's how you make a game scary. Don't, like, if you describe the scary thing coming out, and the zombie has this flesh falling off its face, and blah, blah, that might scare one person, but everyone else is going, oh, it's here now. The anticipation is over. Now I'm just going into action mode. It's when you describe what's on the other side of the door. It's the difference between Alien and Aliens, yep. right? Yes. In the first Alien movie, everyone was like, what the shit is this thing hiding in the rafters? And yep. and in Aliens, it's like, yeah, it's going to come from behind or in front as we're, we're in the vents, but we have guns, so we're just going to shoot it. 100%. Right. So it's what, what do you hear from the other side of the door? What does it smell like? What it sound is it making? That building up that atmosphere and using your theater of the mind skills, which you're going to practice, people, that is what will make something more horrific as opposed to a thing appears and it looks like this. That's no longer scary at this point because there's plenty of scary things in D&D. Yeah, uh, for me, I the anticipation is fantastic, but I would also uh, limit capability on the party themselves. Like find some way to remove... Uh, like lose a leg metaphorically uh, for them. So uh, I, I'm currently uh, planning a Call of Cthulhu thing, um, which it's called a game. Well, a game. <laughs> but the thing I love about Call of Cthulhu is you're going to be fairly weak the entire time. Like if you get in a fight, it's not going to go well for you, right? There's always that threat of I will get wiped across the floor if I get in combat here. And I think having that threat of uh, overwhelming death on top of them as well is is a good way. Just make sure they feel that weight, like bring that tension, bring that weight of um, danger to them. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I know it's never great to separate the party, but if you oh, separate, separate the party, what do people do when they're scared? They huddle together, which is really a ridiculous plan. But that's what we do. People, we naturally will huddle together because we think that for some, for some reason the other meat vehicles are going to save us, but they're not. Um, yeah, I would say that there are really 
really three ways to go about horror. I'm a horror guy, right? Mm-hmm. I worked in a haunted house for years. I absolutely love the genre. I put it in all of my games as much as I possibly can. And I think that you guys are both right, but there are three different ways. One is the anticipation, right? And the idea of, of um, building tension consistently. Um, and one of the ways that you can do that, which is going to scare the party in ways that's not legitimately fear, but, but stress, where they're going to have to like go out and buy a pack of cigarettes and start smoking at the end of the, of the session is because you're on a clock, you're counting down, you're running out of resources, you may or may not get through this, it's really razor's edge, you've told them before the session, guys, this is intense, and you may not do it, right? And and you have them really care, and they're going, and it's frightening, because when they get to that moment of, are we going to, or, or, or are we going to fail, that's going to freak them out. Then there's also the, um, what you're talking about, Dan, which I think of as cosmic horror, mm-hmm. right? Which is the overwhelming sense of dread. Yeah. This is just getting worse. Right? You walk into the house. No matter what you try to do, it just gets worse. Yeah. You walk into the house and it's like, oh, the eyes and the painting follow you. But then the second story of the house, the walls are bleeding. And then in the basement of the house, you can hear the heartbeat wherever you go. And if you stop and are completely silent, you get the incredible feeling of something watching you. And like you're building all of this tension, but that dread is coming. Now, none of that was legitimate cosmic horror, but it's that concept of dread. Yeah. That oppressive negativity that is coming down on you. And no matter what you do, you cannot win. But the thing you guys didn't talk about is the actual, like, I am scared for my character's health. And I looked at things like um, rust monsters and gray oozes and yeah, intellect devours. No, intellect devours because these things, when they hit they will take you out, mm-hmm. right? And they're low level. So you can throw seven of them out there. And, I mean, we did a one-shot not long ago. There were eight intellect devourers, and it wiped half the party. These are like CR1 or CR2 creatures, and they, they hit, and they only needed to have you fail two saves. Yeah. You guys are level eight. You should have been able to handle these things no problem. And you just hacked your way through six of them, mm-hmm. but it wasn't enough, right? No. You did that with to us with um, ghosts. Yeah. You separated us. It was narrow corridors. And they it wasn't even their turn. We just had to move through them to get to where we needed to be. And that was so stressful. We were making crazy... I say we. I was making crazy decisions that were going against what everybody else had agreed we were going to do. Just trying to get something done because you'd stressed me so much. I, I, I changed ghosts. For those of you at home that are like, why? They're just ghosts. I changed them up so that the damage that they do is just 1d4... You roll a you roll a d6 to find out which uh, ability. Which yeah, which stat. And, yeah. and then it drops by one d4. And then I just gave you guys twenty ghosts to have to deal with. They were coming and going. You couldn't hit them fast enough. You were losing track of which ones had taken damage. So it, these twenty ghosts, they're not lowering in number. And you got to get down this hallway, and your clock is ticking. And yeah, do I run through three of them and just hope just that it, I don't? Because yeah. right? that's what it got to me. I think I had three points left on con or strength of one of them yeah and uh and i was trying to do the math like okay am i going to get through this you know i had to run through two of them I but, think, but yeah. that was all three there was this oppressive dread of you guys are all going to die right and then there was also the you don't know what's going to happen because it's random on the die mm-hmm. right and then there's the you get hit and you are now mechanically crippled also as well right? against the clock which was your other point yeah, yeah. we were stressed because we had to be quick and we were also it was like the hot potato we were trying to pass something between us yeah what was it? I uh, know, I you, was. you are passing uh an undead crying fetus 
Oh, that's correct. That's what yeah. it was. Goop How sack. can I forget that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and and the other thing I would do, uh, just more practically, is build the environment of your gaming space to lean towards horror. Darken the lights or dim the lights. Yeah, like add candles. creepy music, light candles. Put a picture Change, of Dan up on your computer. Or or Adam smiling, because that's usually a bad sign. Um Change where people sit. <laughs> oh, here he is smiling. Uh, he doesn't smile with his eyes. That's... No, no, no. It's just teeth. It's just teeth. Sometimes his tongue. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes the tongue sticks out. And it's, it's all teeth it... and tongue with Adam. Yeah, yeah. God uh, damn right. What you could do is you could change where people sit so that they're looking at the table differently than they usually do. Like, mix things up around the table to uh, add discomfort. Yeah, it sounds right? so... Simple where people might listen to that and say, well, that's not going to do it. But it really does. It adds it really, so much, right? Your atmosphere affects and everything, it's, your it's environment. Not, and it's not hard to go to YouTube and find a six-hour uh, um, long video of just creepy ambient noise. I remember we had we were doing the Death House with my group. And we had um, – in the Death House, there's the like ghost baby thing. And I found this creepy uh, – uh, Sorry, this creepy YouTube video with this on it, and eventually, like occasionally within it, you would hear the sound of a crying baby in oh. the in the sound of that, and it happened to line up that one time, that great moment oh, that where a soundtrack, yeah. where that soundtrack yeah. lines up, and yeah. you're like, you hear a crying baby off in the distance, and, and it went, oh, and the party I love it when that just happens. dropped. Like my my one buddy Russell, he hates horror in every way, shape, or form. He came to me after the session. You're not allowed to do that again. I'm like, okay, okay, sure, yeah. But anyways, I want to... Uh, Grab take... your nads, Russell. <laughs> Today we are going to be talking about your Big Bad Evil Guys flows very well from the horror into this. Thank you, Adam, oh. for that. Um, we are talking about world building, so w- how do you build a Big Bad Evil Guy? Where do you put the Big Bad Evil Guy? What do you do with him? What are your tropes? All that other stuff. So we will... Run the intro and get to it shortly. Welcome to It's a Mimic with your DMs, Adam, Dan, and Terry. We are back. Uh, I never left. You never left. <laughs> Gentlemen, I, today we're talking about Big Bad Evil, guys. Um, these are your nemesis of your party. These are going to be the personification of evil um, within your uh, campaign to have a successful campaign is to have a successful big bad evil guy, is to have a successful nemesis against your party. Uh, it is that opposing force, it's your antagonistic force. Um, and a lot of people I find underbuild and underfocus on the big bad evil guys. Um, a lot of the campaign modules in the books that they don't even play yeah, into like, it. I mean, Strahd does, but. Well, it, but they pl- Strahd plays into it, but Strahd is a fairly weak big bad evil guy and then tomb of annihilation goes too far in the other direction and Aserak is way too powerful yeah but you, and you don't even see him till the very end you don't. you're like aware of his vaguely aware of the, that there is going to be a boss yeah but it's not a big bad evil guy he's a boss monster right like i think it's a difference right? yeah yeah so um i want to hit this well uh with your guys's advice your guys's ideas pull from your wealth of experience to kind of answer the question how to build a successful big bad evil guy now with Big Bad Evil Guys, there's a lot of tropes. There's a lot of um, traditional things that people bring into uh, the uh, their 
movie, like they'll pull from movie experience or whatnot. So, guys, I want to ask the very first question here, um, and we'll roll a dice on this. There are a lot of tropes that can I, that we can either embrace or flee from as DMs. Uh, so let's grab the dice, roll for initiative, because I want to know what's your favorite or least favorite big bad evil guy um, trope. Three. Ooh, a ah. 17. I get to go first. I'm I get to start you off with a piece of trivia. Do you know where the term big bad evil guy comes from? Is that Buffy? It is Buffy. Yeah. Is it really? Yeah, Buffy the Vampire Slayer did it first. And one of the, like the middle Ooh. seasons too, right? Do you know so. what? Buffy the Vampire Slayer was that it's that type of show where everything about it screams this is gonna be shit, but it was actually really It was good. fantastic. It yeah. went full circle. It was and, so shit it was good. Yeah, and frankly, Angel was like even better. Angel season one was a little wonky. Was season, questionable. Look, look but season one of any show is kind of a little wonky, right? Yeah, they're anyway. trying to figure it out. So, so, um, what, what, what are my what are my favorite tropes and least favorite tropes? Yeah, or my favorite bad guys and least favorite bad guys. What, uh, let's go with tropes, and then we'll we'll talk about specific bad guys later. Okay, uh, my least favorite um, trope is the bad guy that can kick your ass. I just don't like it. I don't like the guy in the big black suit of armor that stomps in and, and like, wipes the floor with absolutely everybody in the party at level two. He's like, oh, ha, ha, I'm a level 12 anti-paladin. And so then you guys work hard and you get up to it. And then you hit level 12. And you all know the campaign's going to end here. And you go fight the guy and then he dies. And everyone, like, shakes hands and that's boring to me. Yeah. He's not a big bad evil guy. He's just well, a he's, bad he, evil guy. Well, no, he's, he's he, big. He can he's, be, he's the lieutenant. He's not the... No, 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 even if... A lot of times they are the big bad... Like... I'm trying to think of an example of, of of just like the look at how freaking powerful I am. Like um, Thanos yep. did it. Yeah. I look, everybody loves Thanos, and everyone like is all over him. And Thanos was right, and the snap, and did you make it? Yada yada yada. I didn't like him in Endgame. I thought he was weak. Um, I just don't like the I, I can kick your ass. He was scary um, in Infinity War because he is my favorite thing, which was the. He was outsmarting people all the way through, and he was doing the bare minimum mm. and still beating you. Megatron? Yeah. Uh, Megatron, uh, yeah. You know, the one that I go to, I don't know if you guys have played it, but um, one of the only video games that I've played through completion is Final Fantasy VI with Kefka. He's mm. just this, he's a clown. And he just runs around, and um, he's as chaotic evil as they come, and he uh, is trying to achieve godhood. But he, I mean, spoiler alert for Final Fantasy VI, like 30, <laughs> 30 years. years ago, yeah. right? But um, but he straight up ends the world two-thirds of the way through the game. The apocalypse happens, and you lose, and scatters your party of 14 characters to the wind. And then you spend the rest of the time putting your party back together and trying again. Huh. And it's a really cool... Um, the like, best of the Final Fantasy games. Yeah. I, I, In my opinion, yes. Uh, yeah. I've never played it. Uh, I, it has the best story. I think seven is is the most cohesive. Seven yeah. is considered the best. Yeah, I really uh, enjoyed eight. Actually, I, I liked eight as well. Everybody complains eight's a soap opera. Not the point. Anyway, so uh, I, <laughs> I'm blades. I'm done with with the I am the powerful god and you can never defeat me. Right? I, I I'm I'm tired of that. I want to see the the man with the mission. And you don't necessarily know what that is, and you don't know what his tactics are. That's why I love the uh, Christopher Nolan Batman series, because if you look at them, Ra's al Ghul's mission was, like, you knew it right from the beginning, but you didn't know how he was going to do it. Yeah. Right? Scarecrow, you didn't know what he was up to. 
All right, so that's Batman Begins. The Dark Knight, the Joker was just literally a wild card. <laughs> Can I get a hi-hat? Just a... No? All right. Um, but Two-Face was like, are you on our side or not? Right? You didn't know, was he going to be a bad guy until the very end? He even wasn't a bad guy. He was just a fallen hero. Right? And then when you have um, uh, Talia al Ghul um, show up in The Dark Knight. Surprise! Yeah, rises. Like, she was kind of out of the blue, but I, I like that. You weren't sure what side Catwoman was on for, for the majority of it. And Bane had brutal tactics, but of all of them, he was my least favorite because he was like, I will break you. He's a, well, he's a great example of the guy that will just kick your ass. Yeah. yeah. Um, and But he also had these, this, like, militaristic tactic to taking down a methodical way to take down Gotham. He didn't know what he was going to do next, so I like that. But then when he got up to Batman, when Batman, like, comes at him on the bridge and Bane's like, I will beat the holy shit out of you and break your back, and then he does. I'm like, I know that's right out of the comics, but blow up the bridge that Batman is walking across. Yeah. No one will see that shit coming. No. I want the unpredictable bad guy, not random for the sake of random, not goofy, but I want someone with their own mentality, their own tactics, and you don't necessarily know what it is, and they are adaptable. They are going to change to whatever the heroes do. If the heroes decide that everybody's going to pick up the ability to spam Fireball, then he's just going to go out and... The, when he gets his ass kicked, he runs and he shows up with a cloak of fire immunity. Now what? Yeah. Right? You guys did a really good job last time, but it's not going to work. But now you got to change your tactics. We'll, right. we'll dive more into this later. Terry, what about your favorite, least favorite tropes? Um, I th- There's so many tropes that I, th- I think can be done well and I enjoy the classics. I mean, you have your really powerful lich or your wizard or your politician, your big general, which is kind of what Adam was getting towards, your evil queen. We've seen it a lot. And it's great. But the whole point of our podcast is we're trying to look at things a different way. Instead of looking from the top down, like the evil queen, the evil general, I like it when we look from the bottom up. What causes this lowly guy down here? I'm that, all about the bottom up as well. That <laughs> Every time, Adam. Don't make me switch my hate to you. Oh, oh, right, hold on. Oh, sure. please switch your hate to him. Hold on. I, uh, you want to hear me do my Jan impression? I've got, 26, <laughs> I've got 26 episodes of this shit. Like, we need to <laughs> shift the hate to someone else, yeah. please. All right. All right. I like the idea of going from the bottom up as in what about this this little guy down here, this regular dude, that one bad day, that falling down type reference yeah. where it all goes wrong from there. And because I think that causes the players to empathize and sympathize and it gives them that conflict. They're not evil from the start. Maybe you have an understanding of why they might be doing something. So you have that that emotional conflict throughout the campaign as well, which I think just preys on their humane weaknesses, I would say. There, I, I, I want to lean into this, and I'm going to go back to Batman, because I know Batman better than anything. I freaking love Batman. <laughs> but um, there is a, a... I have a story about... Maybe I told you guys, but I'll tell you. Um, yeah. There's a graphic novel, um, and it's kind of a Joker graphic novel. But he ends up kidnapping um, Commissioner Gordon and crippling Batgirl. And that sticks. It's in it's in canon. Like, she gets crippled. But his whole motivation is to prove to Commissioner Gordon that you are just one bad day away from being me. And everybody is. You are just one bad day from thinking the way that I think and acting the way that I act. Yeah. So I'm going to give you the worst possible day that I can. I'm, I'm going to cripple your daughter and take a bunch of naked pictures of her, too. And I'm going to uh, strip you down naked... And I'm going to put you in like a funhouse carnival ride. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to show you all of these pictures of her naked and bleeding on the floor. We're going to we're going to strain your sanity yep. to the very edges. And we're going to make you snap. 
and he almost succeeds. I mean, it's a Batman story. Batman comes in and stops him. Yeah. Right. But 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 that mentality of of for the sake of one decision of one bad l- piece of luck. Yeah. Pull the trigger. Don't pull the trigger. Yeah. And it, yeah. And and I, I like the idea of uh, and Adam, you kind of taught me this as well. Ask him why to everything until you get to the core of it. Yeah. Why is this person evil? Okay, here's the first answer. Why, 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 why? Until you get all the way down. So you have all of these things to play with. You, could, you, you know, Maleficent, Evil Queen, whatever. It, it They can't just be like that for the sake of being like that. Everybody has their reasons. Also, that whole premise of uh, every villain thinks they're a hero. Yeah. Every villain thinks yeah. they are doing the right thing. This is the thing I was going to bring up with mine is like, you never have the snide, like, you should not ha- ever have the snidely whiplash. Like, I'm going to tie this girl to a train track because I'm evil. Like, you don't need that now. I, That's not an intriguing villain. Like, maybe if that person is far deeper of a character and that is just the first thing you see, sure. Well, but, I, I, hold on. I'm going I'm to fight you on that because I got an exception to that rule. I think you're right most of the time. Yeah. I have an exception to that. And this is, uh, it's going to tie what we all just said right mm-hmm. together. The, um, I've got a character named uh, Dasher. He's the bad guy, and he is he used to be a player character, and that player doesn't play with us anymore, and we've used his... I've turned his character into an undead lich that runs around, and he's super powerful, right? So, anyway, he actually took Terry's character... Terry was DMing when this character died, and he took Terry's character aside and said, you know what? I am out to murder the party because they disrespected me and left me to die. I am out... To cause the most pain and suffering that I can. But you know what? I like you. I got no beef with you. We can be friends here. And if you want to help me betray the party, I'm into it. If you don't, that's fine. But if you do, there's these great boons and options. Let's be friends. Here, I went and got your ancestral family weapon. And it's yours now. Right? uh, There's this person from your past that has tormented you your entire life. I've got him strung up against the wall. And I want you to kill him. And if you don't, then I'll kill him. Right, but you and I were gonna be friends, right? And so, and he he wanted to. He was. I know I'm evil. Yeah. But I was betrayed by those guys specifically. I know I'm working for the goddess of death, and I know that she's gonna wipe existence clean. And I'm cool with it because my life was kind of shit, and I'm fine with it. But you and I, in the meantime, we can be buddies. Yeah. And yeah. you had some choices to make. There. I love that because that really played on emotions, thoughts, because I've already been building relationships with these other player characters. And the whole idea of, I got no beef with you, man. Yeah. I got beef with them. They're fucked. But you're all right. And every <laughs> time that he showed up later, he never once attacked your character. Yeah. He went for the kill shot on the others time and time. Because they humiliate. Yeah, but what he did do. Humiliate. And right? he also went after, once he was very, like, finally sided against you. He gave me a weapon, which he, was kick He ass. went against the things that would hurt you the most rather than going directly against you, right? Yeah. Like, Well, no, he he didn't even do anything to, he, he turned you to stone and said, hold on, I know you're still conscious, don't worry, you'll be fine, because it's not an auto death in my campaign, right? So he's like, you'll be fine, just hold on, we're gonna fuck up everybody else. Yeah. Right? Um, you're going to witness it because I want you to see you want to be on our side, but you just stay here. You're frozen. Right. And he did it to your character, too. Yeah. Um, and he and the other person that he did it to was uh, was Evelyn, who was the person that he accidentally murdered. And he kind of owed one to. He's like, you three, I'm not going to kill. Everybody else is going to die a brutal death. But you three, like, I can't, I'm sorry, Evelyn. I, I owe you one. And I don't know you, too. So, you know, I have no beef. 
Yeah. Um, but everybody mm-hmm. else is going to die brutally yeah. in front of you. You are you are very uh I think it's because of your love of horror, like we mentioned in the cold open, and and your history of reading uh Batman comics, which Batman comics are mostly about the villain that he's fighting in that yeah. thing. And, and and it's very Batman is just the guy taking down this really interesting villain. Yeah, well, um, we already know Batman. Yeah, right? it's, ba- yeah, yeah. He's he, the villain. He, I mean, he's not. He's he's a deep character. I, I personally am not a huge fan of Batman just because I think he's overplayed. But um, Batman comics are all about the villain, and and that's you've taken kind of this breadth of experience, especially since Batman's villains are all very psychological as well, in some way, shape, or form. Um, and and you run very psychologically damaging villains. Well, your, that villain Dasher, the way you did it was he didn't he didn't speak like a big evil wizard and rah, he just talked to you. He was like, "I'm gonna hurt them." Like you're okay though. Like you can hey hang out. And that's how he spoke to you. It was very unsettling. And and uh, it's it's not even that. It's my acting background. Right? Yeah. And I said this in the role playing. The root of in the role playing episodes and the pillars. The root of the thing is never the thing itself, mm-hmm. right? So whatever the thing is, the thing itself, you have to know the root of it, yeah. right? It can't just be he's evil because he's evil. You have to know why, yeah. right? And then and then it's like, oh, he's he's evil because his orphanage got burned down, right? Lots of people have had lost everything. Not everyone becomes evil. Why did that trigger him to do that? No. Oh, because he lost his best friend. Right. Why was that best friend so important to him? Oh, because they went back and, and so I'm getting down to the root of it. Maybe it comes down to the fact that he, it was the first time he was ever given a gift. And the only thing you guys need to do, and I'm never going to tell you this, but as players, the only thing you need to do is give something to him and you will be friends and he will no longer be the bad guy. Yeah. Right. Because I need to know why. I don't need to know why for Cobalt number three. I don't need to. I do need to know for a dragon, right? But I don't need to know for for minions, even lieutenants, right? I I want to know why for the big bad evil guys. Yeah. So yeah. Anyways, I totally cut you off, Terry, and just railroaded this. But you were talking about tropes. Do you have a least favorite? A least favorite trope. Uh, do you know what? I won't give a boring answer and say something similar to yours. I I will just say something which isn't fleshed out. Which is just a standard cardboard cutout. So the, the the evil general who's evil because he's evil, who who just wants to take over the world because he wants it. Yeah. Nobody just wants it, you yeah. know. I know they say that uh, what is it? Uh, love, money, ambition are the three reasons that we do anything or whatever. But it 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 needs to be why 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 to get down to that root cause. Otherwise, I don't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what trope it is; it just needs to be deeper. It needs to be fleshed out for me to get engaged and get invested in the campaign. So I sorry, say that again. Love, money, and ambition. ambition. I would even say that money is just is just an extension of ambition because both of those are just the ability to have yeah, power. It's, three, it's, it's love, love, money, money and, and power, isn't it? Or, or love, money, and pa- maybe power actually. Yeah, but maybe money and power are the same thing, right? Uh, yes and no, because there's physical power, like. To be the best you at were this always thing. If down. you don't have money, believe me, I'm aware of this right now. If you don't have money, you don't have any power but in your life. that's our world. That's our culture. That's our... Yeah, but that's, that's the same. The peasants but don't also, have any power. people right? want money but don't want the power. You know, people who want money don't necessarily want power. Right, but I'm why do you point. want the money? Okay, so here's, here's the root of the thing. Why do you want the money? Oh, for a different type. Like, is it so the power is in you will be comfortable? Yes, right. And so so that's it. You are no longer 
powerless. I'm not looking at power as the thing you get, mm-hmm. but but being powerless as the thing you no longer yeah. have. I may I may say love, money, and position then. Well, yeah. no, I, I I would disagree that money equals power necessarily. I think Oh, go down to the States, man. I I think it, it definitely influences mm-hmm. and is a major factor, but I don't think they necessarily need to be connected in that way, shape, or form. Like I I, I imagine like this one guy who wants this incredibly powerful magical item to be this powerful thing at like this powerful swordsman who's looking for this specific sword because it is the most powerful sword it's not a matter of wealth it's because i'm the best swordsman so i deserve the best sword but kind of thing power is merely the is the opportunity to act without consequences that's all that power is whatever it is that you want that's that it's the opportunity Power is also strength yes you're strong enough that you can do this without consequence I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Um, we're agreed on the love part, though. We're agreed on the love part, yeah. Oh, if you want to have an easy, like, a underhand pass of how to run a bad guy. Strut! <coughs> yeah, right? <laughs> have have that bad guy that, you know, lost his love a long time ago and is now a broken man who's doing yeah. evil things. It's fairly easy. I do have one quick question, though. It's still in the same vein. We're focusing very much on an individual big bad evil guy. What about like things like an organization or a council or maybe even like some environmental hazard that is your overarching threat or antagonist for this like a, party? Like a plague. I was going to say the word plague. Or, yeah. or a uh, seemingly intelligent storm that is going through and your party has to find a way to stop it. Would you guys do anything like that in a, like, and how would you approach that? Do you want to roll initiative on this? Um, no, I think this is just... This is because uh, a lot of people focus on the individual for a big bad evil guy. I want to know, like... The one thing that I kind of had a thought of is... What about these larger corporations or... or Maybe, but... Organizations think- or councils that everyone's an equal on this council... But they are directly antagonistic to your party. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's always, whether they say it's equal or not, there's always someone at the top, right? You fight through the empire to get to the emperor. You know, there's, okay. there's always a head of a council. It's never... Uh, yeah, I like the idea of what you said about the environmental stuff, or like a plague or something. But but, but a plague is not a big, bad, evil guy. You you don't fight a plague, you cure a plague. It's just a, it's, it's skill checks you're doing, right? This is not... If it has intelligence, like the storm that seems to have sentience... Yes, that we have that. Those are elementals, right? Yeah. Like, and that can be a big bad evil guy. For if sure, it is yeah. a plague, that is an environmental factor. And what you're doing then is fighting the church to get more clerics, or you're fighting the doctors to release the vaccine. Yep. Like, there's someone standing in your way. In order for it to be a big bad evil guy, there has to be willpower. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be high intelligence. A big bad evil guy could be a kobold with a deck of many things. Right, but there has to just be will to do the thing. There has to be the willpower behind it. I like that. I mean, I try to have this overwhelming sense of dread with the concept of the goddess of death is coming. Yeah, you cannot stop it. She is tearing her way into this world, and everything. If she gets here, existence will will cease. This is not. Oh, I want it for the blood war, or I'm getting revenge against this other god. No, this is wiping the map. Yeah, there, and all maps, right? The fail the Feywild has fallen, right? Uh, Shadowfell is is a husk of itself because she is coming, and there's nothing you can do. You will never be able to stop this. 
that's coming, but there's still a willpower behind it, and there's still a reason why she is doing it. Yeah. And you will never swing a sword to end her. Your best bet is going to be to try to stop her abilities, her ability to come forward. So either just throw up obstacles until it stops, or or to reason somehow. Yeah. But even you, I mean, people don't concern themselves with the opinion of ants, right? She's not going to give a shit about you. Yeah. Right? So how big is your big, bad, evil guy? Like, there, there are three sides, big, bad, and evil? Yeah, well, well, I think we'll get into that as well for the next topic, because I want to talk about the do's and don'ts, like a like very practical approach to big, bad, evil guys, the do's and don'ts of... Uh, running and creating a big bad evil guy for your campaign. But before we do that, I do want to hit a commercial. So, sure. This episode is brought to you by WildBot3D.com. Condition markers, spell trackers, AOE templates, scatter terrain, and much more. Proudly made in Georgia and personally packaged and shipped worldwide. That's WildBot3D, your home for quality 3D printed tabletop gaming accessories and terrain. Visit WildBot3D.com to purchase your new favorite accessories today. Wildbot3D.com. Wildbot. <laughs> and we're back. So, gentlemen, we've talked very much about the uh, theoretical, what we don't like, what we do like about the tropes, the concept of a big bad evil guy. But uh, we are a podcast that likes to pride itself on having some practical knowledge to it as well. Uh, and some practical inspiration as well. So I, I, I want to grab our dice and I want to roll. Just what are your guys' top five do's and don'ts of building a big bad evil guy? Oh no! I'm gonna go first. Oh, one and a four. No, 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 no. I rolled a two. Highest roll was a four. Okay, so uh, big we did fu- Daniel. Yeah, <laughs> it would be me that one with my four, then Adam will go, and then Terry. Um, so. When it comes to building a big bad evil guy, there are certain do's and don'ts that we you should really approach uh, how to do it. It's um, my thing is kind of a checklist. Like, how is this big bad evil guy going to affect your party? Why is he important? I would ask like the the five W's, which I've messed up before on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, what what are they, Dan? Uh, who, what, when, why, and why are who, what, when, why are that was the last two in one. Who, right, what, right. when, where, and why. Yeah. Um, so, who are they? Um, when? Uh, so, approach. How long have they? How long have they been in power? Um, how long have they been against the party? Um, what? Very much a. Uh, is he a magical race? Is he not a magical race? Is are they? Uh, powerful wizard or are they a fighter or like go that way um uh where where's their seat of power um i would approach this guy very much like a uh if if you have kind of the central politician he has a seat of power so approach it like a layer act like have layer actions have give him a layer like any dragon would. Now, when you're creating a big bad evil guy, are you adding a CR difficulty so that you're looking for similar um, difficulty level monsters to look at what their layers may, may be? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm not saying like, oh, he's a politician, he gets fog or whatever. But maybe 
maybe it can sway the minds of people nearby. Like, yes. Right? right. So there's an environmental aspect. And, and I'm looking at kind of maybe different tiers of uh, when you will be uh, uh, approaching him, when you will be talking to him, when you will be discussing with him. Um I, I, I would approach it as the different tiers as well. So, like, his abilities for tier one, if you approach him at a tier one, will be vastly different than his abilities at a tier four. You get me? Um, and the last, and I think the most important question, and Terry, you, you uh, mentioned this earlier, why? Mm-hmm. Why is he the ba- evil guy? What are his motivations to be the person he is and to be against the party like he is. Remember, this is going to be your antagonist. So make him antagonistic. It doesn't necessarily mean he is directly antagonistic, but he should be causing trouble for your party. Okay? Um, don't, I would say, don't focus too much on, like, the minutia of his organization around him. Um, most big bad evil guys are going to either have a following or a cult. Like you don't need to plan out every single or, or an army or like a military or an army yeah, yeah. like like they'll have something building up going against them. Don't spend too much time trying to make that unique. Really pour a lot of your effort into uh, him. That's one of my criticisms of hobgoblins is there's seven different ranks for them and who's got time for that shit in their campaign? Yeah, exactly. When are yeah. you spending forty five sessions getting into the rank and structure? Of a hobgoblin came. It's fun to know that for a DM, but you're just that's just busy work, right? Oh yeah, exactly. Um, I would also hazard uh, don't bring them in too early. Uh, this is this has been a problem I've had in the past where I have this really big bad early uh, big bad evil guy who came in right off the start, um, and although that's fun, I didn't pull my punches and I killed a couple of the party members in session one. Don't do that. That's bad times. Have them, if you want to bring them in early, just to kind of establish that they're evil guy, uh, that they're they're threat, they're a powerful threat. Pull them back and have them be like, show the power of for uh, the show the force, and then pull them back, and then they're. Uh, I, I I disagree with you. Definitely dangle your big bad evil guy in there. Session one. I absolutely love that. But have them murder an NPC, and I don't just mean like yeah. stab in the chest. I mean, flay alive, yeah. right? Like, just it, with one turn and one action, he snaps his fingers, and all of the skin just drops off of this player. Gross, yeah. Right? Now, you've targeted an NPC, and you know the motivation why he hits that NPC. He has no reason to hit the party yet. And if the party attacks him, he's just going to use uh, telekinesis? And just, <laughs> no, you don't. Yeah. No, you don't. The goals no. and the motivations of the big bad for session one are different. The, 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 you don't start the first session of the game and the big bad automatically for some reason wants to kill these five people. Say if it's a dragon, for example. The dragon may be decimating a town, but not necessarily targeting those five people. So you can do a show of force if you're a big bad and you can show um, aspects of them in the environment. But yeah, you don't necessarily need to target the players straight away. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I would also uh, um, have your big bad evil guy... Uh, um, my train of thought just completely corrupted. You got derailed at the station, my friend. I got completely derailed. So I'm just going to move on. Adam, what about you? What are you thinking here? All right, my do's and don'ts. I'll, I'll go through this really quickly because, as you guys know, I could talk about this forever. Um, and I actually get a lot of questions about villains um, myself. So um, I'll hit it right off the bat. First and foremost, have a memorable method. I just said flaying alive. You're, they will remember that. If you stab the guy in the chest or you slit his throat... 
or you behead them, they're not going to care. That is that you your players are doing that shit to goblins, right? Give some sort of methodology to it uh, right off the bat, right? Um, so that it is easy to understand that this guy is doing something, and it can be a politician who's just like, you know what, I'm just going to bribe my way through this. Yeah. Oh, how did he get away with walking in here and just like murdering the barkeep? He just is a normal looking guy that walks in and he sticks a dagger in the guy's eye and he turns around and he walks out and nobody does a thing because he has that much wealth and that much power and so that's the unique methodology to him. If he just if he just walks in he's like, "I'm a bandit. Stab." And everyone's like, "Oh my god, it was a bandit." Nobody cares. That's just a yeah. bandit number 2. Like, yeah. Yeah. I I'm reminded of uh Saddam Hussein taking over Iraq in the 80s. <laughs> no, I, I, I watched of Saddam Hussein taking no, over. No, no, I'm, 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 I'm. Like uh, me I, specifically, you son of a bitch, or no? Like okay. this, this method. Saddam uh, Hussein is now going to. I, I, I recently watched a documentary on it. Uh, it's really interesting. He called a meeting of all of the party of all of the political leaders in Iraq at the time, and he sat down with his Cuban cigar and just was quiet. Sat down at the, the top of the stage and called in like this. Uh, head of the political party in some way, shape, or form, uh, who had, history tells us, spent previous days being tortured, his family was threatened, he was under all this stuff, and he would just list off names of people who were uh, up, supposedly opposing Saddam Hussein. Uh, Saddam Hussein sat at the top and just smoked a cigar, and these people were one by one led out of the room in this in this meeting. And nope. executed, right? And, uh, they were led into a courtyard. And then when Saddam Hussein was all done, he was like, okay. And he handed everyone that was left a gun and forced them to be accomplices in it to kill the, their friends and, and stuff like that who were supposedly a part of this plot. Huh. Like, and he just sit, sat back with a cigar laughing the entire time. Yeah, I don't think I would do that with, with the D&D campaign. I wouldn't then give a gun to my players and well, say, no, no, don't no, kill no. those guys. No, well... Uh, but but you're right. It's a memorable method. It's that a memorable used, method, right? that and he not used, just right? anyone can do that. So or Negan, just kill one. Yeah, everyone else is on board. Yep. So like, so the method has got to be good. Iconography. Look, give them an emblem. Give them a sigil. Give them something so that when you see that black flag with the red stripes in the distance, you know what you're up against. Yeah. You are foreshadowing all of the time by having people wear the colors. That's that's all there is to it. My third point is. Like we've said over and over again, establish the motivation. Know why your character or why your big bad evil guy is doing this. And don't keep it a secret. Make it a little difficult to figure out. But when they hit tier two and you know you're going 20 levels on this, make that make that well known, right? Um, uh, give your guy a psychological weakness, right? Maybe he is absolutely terrified of, of thunder. He doesn't like loud noises. And whenever this shit happens, he flies off the handle and either attacks or retreats. And so you know right away that uh, after, well, about the third time that you've run into him and you've tried to fight him and he's kicked your ass. But every time he thunder waves or every time that uh, that one of your guys thunder waves, he kind of freaks out. Yeah. That's that's So make, make, an, make them have a, a very apparent weakness. Yes, but psychologically, yeah. not mechanical, right? Um, and give lieutenants. As much as I'm, as you said, don't break down the entire army. Give them whatever it is: lieutenants, captains, generals. If this is the emperor, give them generals. Whatever it is, so that you have tiered levels of yeah. of bosses to mm -hmm. go through. Um, 
if, if you're going to go fight the ancient red dragon, you need to be killing the leader of the dragon cult first. Right, and you need to be able to kill the guards, you know, outside the Dragon Cult. That you know, we're going to stop the level four characters, but can't stop level eight. Mm-hmm. There's a scaling process here, and you don't need to know every little bit because you don't need twenty different levels of bad guys. You need four, and if you want to make your tier one bad guys scarier, just make more of them. Yeah, right. And exactly. the action economy will work in your favor. Mm-hmm. As far as my don'ts, do not. This is this is the shittiest trope ever. He's a drow. He's evil. Don't just go off of race. That is a garbage answer. Yeah. Um, if it's just like, oh, he's evil because he's a goblin. It's like, yeah. Well, we said that um, in the goblins episode as well. They're not yeah. evil because they are goblins. Yeah. As much as they're all neutral evil, their society builds them that way, yeah. right? But, but that's just it's a cop out, and now you don't have a memorable bad guy. You just have a we did goblins once, mm-hmm. right? Um, don't and. Uh, point two is don't use a class the same way, right? Oh, he's a warlock. He talks to an to an elder evil and therefore is evil himself. Your bad guy can be a warlock. Don't make him evil and warlock is the reason. That's a detail. It's not the root of the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I'd also recommend uh, add some uh, uh, variety within his class and his powers as well. Like if he's a great old one warlock and you've built him to be a great old one warlock... Increase his telepathy range or in, like do something with him that he um, that even if a player who built the same type of class is standing right next to him, he's still got those other little things that that class that that player had no access to for whatever reason. Yeah, uh, look, all of the monsters have unique abilities. I'm a big believer in the fact that even the evil humans, they need to have abilities that the players just don't have access to. Yeah. And I'm. If your players complain, um, tell them to get the fuck out. That's what Dungeons and Dragons is. Shut your cake hole. Yeah. Um, Tried to be a little bit more diplomatic, but yeah. Yeah, I just have no patience with that. Oh, that's not what it says in the monster manual. Okay, listen. Yeah, we gotta get creative here sometime. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Listen, level three barbarian. (laughs) Stop reading the monster manual. And start focusing on characterization instead of complaining about rules. Exactly. This whole campaign's homebrewed. Yeah. Um, So, um... The next thing is uh, I would never, ever, ever um, put your big bad evil guy in the immediate proximity of your players. Dangle them in front, sure. When they walk into the bar, have a whole bunch of tables that they have to get around as NPCs in the way. You don't put them within 10 feet of your good guys. Your good guys will just goddamn grapple him. And you will roll a one, and now they will just coup de gras your, your big bad evil guy. Yeah. And And there's nothing you can do about that. Right now, you're just making up. Uh, he has the ability to teleport. Now you're yep. planning that shit. You're just desperate and scrambling, and your players will smell that. Yep. Oh, yeah. So don't Milo. don't put him on. Put him up on a stage. Put him on the other side of, of the wall, looking through the window. Yeah. Right. Put him behind the bar. Whatever it takes. Um. Never give him the powerful item. Don't give him the one ring. Do not give him the. Uh, this is the ancient staff of the Yuan Ti God of. Don't do that. Because invariably that fucking rogue will take it every goddamn yeah, time. That mage and hand they do. have it. The, your invi- invisible mage hand that can pick pockets will take that. Exactly. Yeah, right. Don't make it item based. Maybe the item boosts an ability, but just make it an inherent ability that he has. Um, and the last thing is um, improper monster usage. I, it, it pisses me off when it's like, oh, I've got this chaotic 
dragon that is always going to hit and he's got about 10 different things that he can do and he's super chaotic and really powerful and he's over the top insane like bitch use a beholder yeah yeah the the dragon is there for something if you wanted to do a dragon campaign do a dragon campaign and use a dragon bad guy but what you are doing is a beholder bad guy have the beholder beholden to the dragon in some way uh have the dragon pulling the strings for yeah. some reason but have the beholder don't grab the mechanics off of one big bad evil guy and drop it on another. That's that, what we're saying. Yeah, that, that just drives me up. I'd like to point out, like, just because you have the big bad evil guy for the entire campaign doesn't mean you have a bunch of minor big bad evil guys that you take out, right? Like yeah, a beholder is still a threat, and you might even have to have a couple sessions building up to that threat to take out the general. But you can approach this same logic to a lieutenant as you can to the big bad evil guy, but give a reason why they are beholden to the big bad evil guy ultimately. A lot of the times, that's just rank, yep. or you know, he, he he pays their their wages, or he's the direct conduit to the god, right? <laughs> yeah. There's not you don't have to get too deep into the motivations of all of the the people themselves. Um, and I think it's fun every once in a while to throw that that private level um, bad guy who got murdered. They walk up and they stomp them. The level eight fighter walked up to that NPC guard and just like stabbed him in the gut, and now he's dying. And the last thing that the guard says, he looks up and he goes, uh, please take this note and give it to my wife. Tell her I'm sorry I never should have left. Yeah. Right? So, and you're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Who are the real bad guys? And you know the motivation. But the motivation could just be, you know what, they were poor and they needed the money. Yeah. Yep. Right? Or he was born in this country and therefore was conscripted. Right? Oh, wow. And how many times have we seen that in history? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just, right? just the once. Always. <laughs> <laughs> it is still happening. Yeah. Uh, is that so? Yeah. Th- that yeah. That that's me. Um, we're gonna obviously. I'm gonna double up with some of you guys and some things we're thinking along hot. similar lines. Oh, so hot. We we'll even triple up sometimes. <laughs> but I'll give my yeah. own little my own little points. Triple up. Yeah. I don't know if I got the stamina for that, man. You know what I mean? I'm doing everything over here. Well, then you can be in the middle. Yeah, me good to go. You good to go. I'm handling me. I'm handling you. <laughs> what are you doing? Lying on your back and thinking of Canada. That's what you're doing. God bless. Anyway. Oh, Canada. <laughs> oh, Canada. <laughs> That's what they call the Mounties. on God for... Hit the note, Dan. Nope. <laughs> All right. I'm not putting my singing voice out there Okay, I'm going to go through my dues first. They're going to double up a little bit, but I'll put my own little spin on it, okay? Here's a big one for me. Dan, just don't. What no, are you doing? That's that asshole. I was taking a sip to avoid coughing, and he just starts don't, lifting my cup. First of all, me. don't use the word asshole on this podcast, okay? That's inappropriate. Okay, oh, what do you do? Is splashing that shit all over your face? Water. We're talking about yeah, yeah, water. Yeah, water. Water. Yeah. 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 Talking about water. Okay. Number one. Here's one for me. Is know your big bad's fears. Everybody, and you kind of touched on it lightly with psychological things and stuff, but. Everybody has a fear. Nobody is just running into situations without something they're afraid of. They are trying to protect something. There's something they're concerned about. There's something they're afraid of. And you need to be fair with that. You can't have a completely invincible big bad because there are not completely invincible big bads out there. Oh, my God. Why do people not have couples that are the big bad couple? Yep. And then you kill one oh, of them. the vampire couple. Yeah. You know, not even not even a vampire. Just like... Just Two, like... Yep, gods, gods and goddesses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, and you just kill one, and the other one is lost without them. Yeah, right. And now all he knows is vengeance and, and rage. Like yeah. that's 
There we go. We just figured out tier three and four, right? Yep. There we go. Exactly. Um, I, I really like the idea of leaning into, I said it earlier, is playing them as a hero. Remember, in their mind, they are 100% correct because you may have killed their loved one. And so their vengeance is completely justified. Or whatever happened to them in their childhood, which has brought them up to be like this. Or they think they have seen a legitimate problem in the world and these people need to be removed for whatever reason. They see themselves as a hero. And you need to lean in on that. They don't think that they're evil, more than likely. Okay, alright, hold on. I'm going to pause you for a second because I like that. But I'm going to go to Darth Vader for a sec. Now, Darth Vader very much knew that he was evil. He's working for the dark side. Right. right. Um, however, he was so hurt, physically and emotionally... So psychologically scarred that his entire motivation was never again. Yeah. And he knows he's evil, but he just cannot go through this again. I tried your way and it didn't work. And it hurts so badly that I can never do it again. Which is a huge, it is um, a huge weakness masking a strength. Yes. Right? That was the whole thing of Darth Vader. Yeah. And, and those are such interesting villains. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So my, my third one is is have them do good things. And I know that sounds strange, but there's going to be some times where even any dictator out there, there's somebody going, yeah, but we're kind of safe. He kind of stops people from bothering us, you know? <laughs> and we were joking about it before saying, Tiamat has like good plan for education, yeah, I was just, I was right? About we that. touched on it before. But if yeah, if you're, if you're a big bad evil guy who grew up in an orphanage and whatnot and then burned to the ground, that was a triggering thing. Yeah, he like straight up rapes and pillages and takes all of that gold and gives it to the orphans. Yeah, it's hard to fight that, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, you, you really got to humanize them a little bit, and the, uh, we'll we'll uh, or dwarfenize them, halflinganize them. You'll no, I hate you people so much. Uh, you will euthanize? No, that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? Because because there's a good argument. No, See, that's what I'm doing. See? <laughs> well, we'll we'll touch into this a little bit more when we talk into campaign usage and, and just how to make your players really be attached to them. So yeah. yeah, and and I mean, let's just keep it simple. Let's stick with that dictator idea, okay? Hey, if you get out of line, I'm gonna kill you and your it's whole a cock family. potato, Dan. It's a dictator. <laughs> <laughs> I like how we both uh, went Because I'm saying dictator like a big leader, but Adam is using the yeah, half of yeah, the word. Yeah. It's the dick yeah. part. He's using the penis that. potato. Yeah. 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 The, the, the root of the thing is never the thing itself. <laughs> root and root is another term for penis. And for uh, potato. Oh my Shit. God. It all, all right. Podcast oh over. We're done. Oh my God. Terry, what were you saying? Okay. Let's keep it simple with the dictator idea of if you get out of line, I will murder you and your whole family. But if you stay. In line, nobody else will now make sure you're safe, right? So, you know, there's an argument for good deeds there. Um, I like to have to, I like to work for the players to sympathize with them in some way. I touched on that earlier as well, yep. but there should be a part where they're going, I can kind of understand why it's like that. Us as an audience watching Darth Vader were like, look, I kind of get it. Look, he was a bit whiny leading up to being Darth Vader, becoming Darth Vader, but I get it. I understand yeah. it. Uh, because I think it should be not only difficult skill-wise, mechanically-wise, to kill this person, but I think you should question it the whole way. Um, I think the power vacuum should be known. Look, yep. if you kill Hitler, Himmler's coming in two hours later. I think... Yeah, that- and, and having Jafar in the in, like waiting in the wings can be even worse, right? Yeah. And th- that's actually a great point I want to get to as well. For we a, call for that a, the Cheney effect. For a do, for a do is... The big bad evil guy doesn't necessarily need to be number one. 
in so what you're saying, the Sultan was in charge of yep. Agrabah. He was in charge of the land. The big bad was the number two, who was whispering in the ears, you know. And I and I think that idea is so is so strong because I mean they spent a lot of the movie trying to convince everybody else that this person was bad. It was this bad yeah. person. Yeah. You know uh, the whole idea of um, Lord of the Rings. What's his face in the king? Blah blah. You know what I mean? I don't like that movie. Scar. <sighs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> A million Tolkien fans <laughs> just screamed out in the nerd rage. Oh, cabbage limbs, shut up. Okay. <laughs> oh, 12 hours of hiking. Uh, okay. Visit On New Zealand. to my dumps. On to my visit New Zealand. Cool. <laughs> that was a Flight of the Concords reference, people. Yep, yep. Okay. Here are my five don'ts. Don't rely on bullshit cop-outs. We've talked about that before. Okay. Yep. They're not just evil because they're evil. Um... I don't play an unfair metagame. So what I mean is, yes, you can have a big bad who's watching the party because they're invisible, uh, but your dog can smell them. Okay, your dog can smell them. So your dog may start barking and looking at the corner because there's an invisible person there. Or if they're if they are using a spell and you as the DM know that they are using, let's say, a detect thought spell and they fail or the other, you know, sorry, the player succeeds on their save, they know that someone is trying to use that spell on them. Yeah. You have to be fair in that sense. Because otherwise, players will smell that bullshit. Oh, they've been doing this all along. Yes, there are some things where it's just they're powerful because they're a big bad. But, oh, they've been reading your mind all along. What? For ten months and I didn't pass a single save when I was in the room with them? I think you've got to be fair with it because I think you have to show some weakness. And you have to. I think you owe it to that player to play, um, play fair in that sense in the metagame. Um, and uh, you run a danger if you don't really focus uh on making sure you are avoiding doing things like this where where you're running an unfair meta you run the danger of making your party feel like you're railroading them as well yep. because why are they fighting against this guy there's nothing they could do against him yep. because he's got this supreme power or something mm-hmm. and it feels crippling as a player so really try to we shouldn't be able to predict your bullshit. Yeah, it's kind much, of what yeah. you're getting towards. Well, it's interesting because I, I, as much as I said, have a method that I mean, this guy's known for. That's why we we absolutely loved to hate Ramsey Bolton. That guy fucking played people, right? Like, goddamn, that's that shit's nasty. Yeah. However, you never knew when he was going to feed them to the dogs, or he's just going to straight up stab you in the neck. They should not be predictable. Don't use the same hook over and over and over again as a DM. Yeah. If you are going to murder, or when you flay people. Well, change your hooks. Weird. Um, when you, when you are um, going to kill the fighter's family member, right, and you go and you murder their mother, don't then turn around and kill the rogue's mother. You've done that once. Yeah. Right? Move on. You're going to lose What's people. What's your problem with mothers? <laughs> well, and, and unless that is a big thing, like nobody's father is safe because this guy had daddy issues, right, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Unless that is your big thing and that's one overall hook. If you're just doing the same thing to fuck with your players over and over again, don't. Right? right? You have to mix it up. Hurt them in different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my next point would also be uh, don't have the big bad working alone. Now, I know we th- can think of a few examples sometimes of big bads that are, are kind of solitary. I mean, I struggle to think of one now. But I think there's always sympathizers. I think there's always people on side 
with the cause. I mean, for for just a really bad example, I guess I was born in Northern Ireland in the 80s, okay? Where there were sympathizers for the troubles all over the place, depending on what side you're at. So everybody knew you don't talk about politics, you don't talk about religion, okay? Because it can get pretty hairy. So I think you should have covert and overt followers and sympathizers of your big bad everywhere. If you're mouthing off in the tavern about how bad this person is and you're making a planet go and kill them, there could be someone two tables over who sympathizes with that person. And yep. I think you should pull them into the campaign as well. So I don't think this should ever be truly working alone. Um, don't have the big bad be so obvious. I think I said that before. And that's exactly where you're touching on. Have more to them. It doesn't need to be the same hook all of the time. And I know I'm kind of repeating points that you guys are saying here. But it's because we're thinking along the same lines. And it's uh, so important, right? Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, I didn't know what you guys were going to say. Um don't have them be too obvious go go why 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 and get creative with it right down to the core and then give them different methods of execution i won't go on that one too much because we've already covered it uh and again don't have them be invincible all the time they need to show weakness they need they need to really need to be a weakness so a lot of my points were already what we discussed but uh i didn't know what you were going to say so there we go cool um well we are going to quickly uh shift into a time of shout out before we uh talk very specifically about what do we do with the big bad evil guy specifically in a campaign? How to invest your characters and some ideas as well. Some very like actually individual ideas for a big bad evil guy. Um, so before we get into that, a uh, quick little shout out. Specifically, I want to uh, shout out the zombie knight, uh, Hefe. Uh, he's one of the... Jeff. Sorry, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, he's one of the last like very vocal... Uh, people in our kind of Instagram and our social media that we haven't really called out yet. Yeah, I like last, to last the but best not ones. least, right? Yeah, like, definitely not least. Uh, Jeff's been fantastic. He's been um, all over the place in our Instagram pages and our stories. He's he's very a vocal supporter, and we love him for that. Um, I like to just troll through his uh, Instagram feed and uh, just just leaving swear words left, right. No, 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 no. Like, sorry, I, sorry, I like to troll your Instagram feed. Uh. I know you do. You like to troll me in my real life as well, <laughs> face, right to my face. Just no, but I like you I like work, watching his painting uh, progress and whatnot. Like the man is a fantastic painter, and and really, if you have any sort of uh, artistic bone in your body, you will love this man's uh, Instagram page. So. That's Jeff. It's the dot zombie dot night with a K. Um, Knigget. Knigget. Uh, go ahead and uh, go and give him a follow. Um, other than that, we have our giveaway, Adam. Okay, so uh, we've talked about this a couple times. You're going to keep hearing about it all summer because we are excited about this giveaway. We're getting um, more and more stuff added to it. And uh, at, we're going to actually release a comprehensive list when we stop adding things to, to the giveaway. Um <laughs> But what we want is you guys to write into us either uh, at um, our email address, info at itsamimic.com, or hit us up on either Twitter or Instagram. Our Instagram handle is uh, at itsamimic, and our uh, Twitter is at itsamimicdnd. So uh, let us know which classes you think that each of us are, which races, and which backgrounds. Uh, the person who is the closest, we're going to sit down and vote. We're going to do a, uh, probably a special episode and say, mm-hmm. hey, you know, here's here's what we think, right? The person that gets closest is going to win all of the prizes. So this is kind of like a grand prize giveaway here. Um, and we're, uh, we're really excited to hear what you guys who have listened to all of these episodes think about where we're sitting. Um, honestly, 
I feel like all three of us are bards, and that's kind of a giveaway uh, to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, Dan is just an NPC villager. Yeah. So neither of those count. But, Straight commoner. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, wish you were uncommoner, bud. So <laughs> Where's my pitchfork? Uh, <laughs> make sure that you check us out on our website as well at www.itsamimic.com. And check us out on Facebook and YouTube. Don't forget to give uh, iTunes uh, a comment and review and like our stuff and give us some ratings. Everything that you do helps us. And all the help that we get allows us to do more shows, more specials. Um, We get to take more time out of our lives to provide more content to you. So let us know uh, who you think that we are. Again, that's classes, races, and backgrounds. Dan? Other than that, uh, if you want to reach us for any other thing other than the giveaway, you can reach us at info at itsamimic.com or our personal Instagrams, which you can reach Adam at. No, don't reach out to me. I don't want to. I'm tired of you people. Okay. Uh, that's at Rusty Styrofoam. Uh, please send him all Fuck. the messages. Uh, <laughs> Terry? Uh, mine's at send noobs DND. And I'm at Oscar underscore the underscore orc, all with K's. Um, so, Where, gen- where's the K in the? Uh, it's the silent K that you can find at the end of my middle finger, bitch. <laughs> oh! Um, Shots fired. So, now that we are wrapping up this episode on Big Bad Evil Guys, I want to, you are declaring me like a son of a bitch, and it's starting to creep me out. Oh, oh man, no. I can't wait for the video. All right, so, uh, well, Adam stares at me, and I get super uncomfortable. Uh, I want to talk about specifically how you want to use your Big Bad Evil Guys at a campaign, and uh, what are your tips for kind of drawing them out of your players? He's, I don't think he's blinked. <laughs> Terry, I'm going full Hannibal Lecter in you. <laughs> Are I'm you... not looking. You know what this is? This is happening. This is like if uh, you know what, like a cougar attack. I don't need to run faster than the cougar. I just need to run faster than you. And you almost <laughs> certainly will. Um, so, how do you pull from your players? How do you really invest your players into the campaign? He's still doing it, um, and into your big bad evil guy. Uh, when we're all done with this, I want an example of kind of what you would like. Give me a big bad evil guy. Sure. And, 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 and toss it toward me. Or give me one of the favorite Big Bad Evil guys you've ever experienced at the table. I'm ready so if you're ready. So let's grab our dice. Um, Adam finally stopped staring daggers at me. Oh, 18. Get it, son. Six. Oh, I also got a six. Motherfucker. Oh, we're not tearing down to a four. All right. I got a 13. Yay, I'm going first. Oh, All right, what were you saying? I was busy staring holes in the side of your head. Uh, well, maybe you should have been paying attention. No, almost certainly not. Um, um, so, no, okay, you, you want to know about um, my my favorite, like, big, bad, evil guy, or, like, yeah. if I'm going to control one. All right. And how to, like, draw from your players' backstories and get your players really invested with your uh, big, bad, evil guy. Every single player that I have needs to have their own personal relationship with the big, bad, evil guy. When they're alone, they need to meet the villain. And the villain has to be antagonistic in some way. They don't have to attack the player. They don't have to knock them into death saves or anything. They can just, you know, the rogue goes into the back alley to go, you know, find a contact with these can't to find a place to fence some magic items or whatever. He turns a corner and there is your guy just looking at him and smiling and slowly slitting the throat of an orphan and then teleporting out. Right? That is personal especially if that orphan is an npc that that character loves mm-hmm. make it personal for each person and the big bad evil guy doesn't have to be the same person for each one of your players 
one of the things that I love to do is have my overarching bad guy that anyone can latch on to at some given point. For me, of course, I keep talking about it's a goddess of death, right? And I keep hitting this where this is coming. And you've got these lieutenants and there's a couple of liches and they're there. And everyone's kind of got a personal hook into who these, these liches are. But Dan joined the campaign and he didn't know what any of this meant, right? What's a dasher? Yeah, right. So, <laughs> and, and I'm getting ready to, to gear up towards a big, um, act break and how do I make this important and really drag Dan in. So then I went to his backstory and I grabbed a nemesis that I asked him to provide me early on. Right. So he's got his own personal agenda. Even in the campaign that we're playing right now, not only do you have a personal villain, but now your your NPC daughter has a personal villain as well, yeah. who has now become your personal villain as well by by um just association. By his right? actions against my family. Yeah, so there are levels of bad guys, each uniquely sinister in their own way. Because if I've got six, seven, eight of these bad guys, they're all going to be tier four-ish. And we can start crossing names off. Because when you hit the last session, it needs to feel like a will we, won't we. You should have failed repeatedly all the way here. Not every time. But enough that it could really feel real that you will just lose this fight. You've lost friends. You haven't been able to stop the cultists from raising a demigod. You haven't been able to rescue the orphanage. You haven't been able to um, to save the family member from the backstory. Whatever it is, it's all been there. You've had your victories. You've killed some of these other villains. But they're mid-level villains. Yeah, They're still just as evil, still just as personal. They're just not that powerful. And so that's where I'm coming at it. But then again, I run long campaigns. You do, right? Yeah. That span years. So I have the opportunity. And, and each session lasts, what, six hours minimum, right? So I've got all of this time to drop hints and say, you know what? You recognize the symbol of this person over there. Uh, you realize that this arms dealer that you've been dealing with has actually been a villain that you haven't seen in four months, right? And he's just in disguise now. Yeah. These are different ways that I'm pulling you in. The other thing that I want to do over and over and over again is make the villains team up. If I've got the goddess of death coming in and I've got an evil arms dealer that's murdered a bunch of people and betrayed like the very memory and essence of, of a good god, but he still doesn't want to die either. He's going to team up with your good guys to stop existence from ending. And some of the best stuff that I've ever seen, I remember being a kid and being like, holy shit, you guys remember the reboot? Mm-hmm. TV show? Did you get that? And spell what? Reboot? Reboot. Reboot. No. no. Okay. Well, um, it's a fantastic cartoon. Oh. Yeah. Uh, anyway, when I was a kid, I was watching, and the best episodes were when the bad guys and the good guys had to team up to stop the environmental thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. And I would be so excited when I would see them have to work together, and you know that bad guy's just waiting for the double cross. He's it's coming. You know he's going to do it, and then sometimes he doesn't, and he's just like. I owe you one. Now, what does that mean? Yeah. Right? And so there's, there's all of these different um, levels of, of villainy. You talked earlier about, you know, uh, uh, what if it's a plague. Yeah. Right? Bad guys can get hit by disease as well. They may be able to provide a certain piece of knowledge or an item to help you cure the plague en masse magically. Yeah. Right? But they want something in return. 
Yep, for sure. And now they are going to lord over. But they want this item that you have, this cherished item, and they're going to use that. They're going to use your own ancestral sword against you for the rest of the campaign. Yeah. Right? That hurts. Uh, I, I, I would almost take the same kind of approach, and I would uh, cause a... NPC that is a beloved NPC to have that turn, and then they ultimately become the big bad evil guy? I think, yeah, if you're going to have, and I've done this before too, I've had NPCs that double cross uh, the party, you have to telegraph that shit early, mm-hmm. and if the players don't care, or like, oh, whatever, we'll kill them later, or, oh, that's getting a little iffy, we should probably deal with this at some point, give them clues, because otherwise you're just blindsiding them, they think the DM is out to get them. Yeah. Um, the last thing that I'm going to say and this is not going to be a really popular answer because it's not for everybody. But for those of you that run rated R campaigns, and you got to do your session zero, you got to get permission from from your people. The worst villains of all time, and everyone will agree with this, are the villains that mix sex and violence. It's not enough to stab you. It's they've got to be smelling your hair the moment they do it, right before they do it, right? They have to caress your cheek. As you are making death saves. They need to whisper in your ear that you will be such a beautiful addition to my army of the undead. Right? And they have to just be super, super creepy. Or seductive or something. And and, not even seductive. It can just be creepy. Go watch a one hour photo. Right? He wasn't like, he was evil in that. But it was just because he wanted to be a part of this family. And he went and Robin Williams... You know, was in their house when they weren't there, just smelling things and looking around and rearranging things, and sitting on the couch and watching TV when they weren't home, just wanting to be a part of their life. That's weird. It's too intimate. Yeah, intimacy is better. I think intimacy is a better word than sex. Really, it's the intimacy. Yeah, I I always try to think about um, uh, adding sex to violence because it's it's boundary pushing. Yeah, um, everybody's going to have a really negative reaction to that, and Honestly, every group I've ever played with that says, yeah, we're not interested in sexual violence. Don't do that. But one of these days, someone will, and I'm not saying rape, right? Uh, what I'm saying is have them just, like, kiss you as they slowly gut you, right? Have it just be that extra little bit of sexualization Yeah. Um, that you're not only going to die, we're not going to torture you, we're going to torture you naked. Yeah. And you don't have to do anything with that. Except you're naked and he's looking at you. Yeah, it's, that's creepy. Yeah. That's wrong. Yeah, that's playing with vulnerability, right? Yeah, there. yeah and yeah. so so that's not for everyone, and I don't recommend it for everyone. But if you have the ability to do that, that is an incredibly effective way yeah. to make a villain the most villainous that you can. Yeah, yeah. session uh, zero, know your audience. Yeah, yeah, don't yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very important. Cannot overemphasize session, session zero, zero. The hell out of know this. your audience. Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay, I guess we're on to me then. I yes, Adam, that you have a. Uh, an, incre- an uncanny ability to freak me out all the time with what you do with your games. Is it how I stroke your thigh while I speak? <laughs> yeah, as you're talking about uh, intimacy and violence. Just like flicking your earlobe. Do you know what? It's not even uh, the stroking the thigh. It's just when you're making a point and the hand goes on the thigh, yeah. but then it doesn't leave for just a little bit too long. <laughs> it's just still there as you're talking about your next point. The hand is still there. Um, I would say, because I talk about hitting the, um, hitting the player characters. On Good the God. Adam, every time I try and speak. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was down looking at my notes and then I just Dan, feel a hot Dan, breath Daniel, in my ear Daniel, and I turn to find I have like two inches from my face Daniel it's actually my turn you're being very rude Terry 
You're being very rude right now. Blame the ginger. He's not speaking. You are. Um, I always talk about uh, em- emotional connections with characters, but I, I also mean with players. There should be parallels in the campaign to parallels in people's lives. Now, I'm not saying if somebody's father has just passed away, killed their dad in the game. Don't be so obvious. That's all. Don't do that. What I mean is uh, play on the things that these people are attached to. Dan is a family man. He has a soft spot for kids. He loves the NPC, the nine-year-old Kenku child, snaps. Mm -hmm. You immediately become very attached to that. I don't have kids. I don't give a shit about other people's kids. I've got my own problems being, being true to it. But, and I'll open up a little bit here. I do walk around with an underlying shame and guilt that I left my family in the UK 10 years ago and I haven't really been back much since and I never really built a relationship with my sister. So in a campaign, if you turn everyone against me, that will bother me. That will make me feel uncomfortable. Just give it Adam. <laughs> Adam's just like, excellent. Also, I'm thinking a little bit deeper about this. I had a character who essentially... Who, the, it's my, unnerving, right? It is when unnerving. When he's staring at you but, with that grin. But you guys remember Duke, my grave robber uh, yeah. character, who essentially took himself away from the world and did that whole head in the sand, buried himself underground, grave robbing, and took himself away and couldn't bear to go back and face his problems. That's, that is a parallel in my life in something which is deeper. Don't worry, guys. I'm okay. I can see you. I'm, I'm okay. I'm just saying that's something. When you have those subtle parallels, people yeah. will get sucked into things. And everybody has their shit. If you want to send a hug to Terry, our Instagram you know is... What? It's a mimic. I'm, I'm uncomfortable with that as well, to be honest, okay? Don't hug me. Don't touch me. Don't come near me. You'll never find out where I am, ever. Um, His address <laughs> is... <laughs> people are looking for, like, logos and stuff like, yeah. in, my, in my pictures. <laughs> I forget where I was going. Scroll down. Ah. Um, and, and, and for the big bads, the, the threat, remember, should be in the world around them as well. Adam, this is also what you do very well. The goddess of death is targeting everything, not just the players. And so these things that make you hate that big bad are everywhere. It's not just what they do to you. It's what they do to other people. It's what they do to everybody. Yeah. The fact that you feel like you just constantly, doesn't matter how hard you try, you just keep losing. The well collapses in our game. It's just, we just feel like we keep losing people no matter what we do. You get a little victory, you get knocked back. You get a little victory, you should fail your way to the end of the game. There's also like the little hints. And, and this is one of the things that Adam pointed out as well was the iconography. Um, have that symbol pop up everywhere mm-hmm. like symbols I, are huge symbols Flags. are massive and like even where they really shouldn't be like if you are taking a break for a side quest and you end up somewhere and that seven fingered hand pops up again like you want to flip a table as a player yeah. like we were on a break yeah. yeah but the the icons that you use they have to be easily recognizable too Right, you can't you can't do something that's, that's too obscure. Adam, just do a dick. <laughs> yeah, you guys can't see this, but I'm defeating oh Dan my completely. God, we should laugh at it. But symbols in life are huge, right? Everybody has their. This one is. <laughs> Everybody has their team. Every country has its own flag. You know, we, uh, it's, no. What I sit here in agony this entire time when you guys just go off on Dan, me. Terry is this talking. is hilarious Dan. and well done. Dan. I appreciate you for Dan, this. Actually continue, my turn. Terry. My turn. I'll continue. Because I want to, not because you want me to. I'm the DM. You do okay. as I say. <laughs> oh, Dan's coming back. I love it. Okay, I also touched on this earlier, but I think this is hugely important as well. The power vacuum should be present, and I think should um, affect players' decisions. Okay, mm-hmm. or if they didn't consider it, 
fine, whatever. If they kill the big bad, you can set up a cliffhanger for the next campaign because what happens next? How do the people judge this? How do the followers judge this? Who is the person waiting in the wings to come in? Because if you want a little cliffhanger for the next campaign, you've got it right there. But I think that whole idea of the power vacuum should affect the player's decisions because I don't think it necessarily needs to be over when we think it's over. One of the things that we haven't discussed, and I think the power vacuum kind of leads into this motivation as well for a big bad evil guy, is the concept that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm. And part of that is look at how much I've gained and I am afraid to lose it and I will go to any length just to keep what I have. And you see a lot of rulers, a lot of uh, monarchies and dictators and people um, and orange presidents that will just do whatever they can to keep that power, even if it's driving everyone like under their thumb insane. And, and they will have zealots that follow them to the ends of the earth. Mm-hmm. But the idea that look at how far I've come and under zero circumstances can I backslide, mm-hmm. right? So I, just, I think that that's with the power vacuum. Having the second in command then step up and say, you know what? Hey, this is okay. And he puts on the king's cloak and he puts the crown on his head and he smiles to himself and he says, you know what? I've earned this and no one will ever take it from me. Yeah. I see myself on an iron throne. Exactly. Right. And so that's, that's Dan, would you want to speak? Now's your turn. <laughs> Now's my turn. Well, I, I, we have already brought out the fact that you should be pulling on their the players' both real life and character vulnerabilities. You should be pulling on their backstories and pulling from the things that they have kind of set up. Straight up request a nemesis. Like, there's nothing wrong with at your session zero going to your players and be like, guys, give me someone to mess with you. Mm-hmm. Everybody has that person in their real life that they absolutely hate. You know who you are, Dave. And <laughs> and so when when that person crops up again 18 sessions in. Yeah. And they're like, did I write that? Did I did I do that? Yeah, and you've you done say, that to me a couple times. Yeah, yeah. where you, you say, yes, you did write that into your backstory, and here he is. And here's why you hated him. Remember you said this? Yeah. And here's what he's been up to since. Yeah. Uh, one of the things you've done, and, and you pulled from my backstory for this, and you mentioned it earlier, was this uh, arms dealer character that we're talking about is my other character's nemesis that is now my current character's ally. And it's, it is forcing me, who has some troubles metagaming sometimes, let's be completely honest, to be like, yeah, okay, I like this guy. And, like, really try to force me into this space where, um, because I know both of these backstories, I have to really work on focusing that this guy's an ally and not an actual enemy. Yeah, it, fo- uh, it forces you to roleplay. It forces and you to roleplay. If, forces- if you're going to roleplay, you better feel. Exactly, right? And and do what you can with your big, bad, evil guy, ultimately, to cause your players to become invested, to feel uh, genuine emotions about fictional characters, right? Like, I think that's one of the reasons, that's the kind of goal we all approach this, is we want to tell a great story, and you can't tell a great story without getting invested in some way, yeah. shape, or form. So, uh, is there anything else we want to add here, boys, before yeah. we talk about yeah. that one best... One we've ever experienced. Yeah, I, I've got I've got a hint, which for all you DMs out there, feel free to use this. I think it's fantastic, and I did this in my last campaign. It worked out really well by giving these small lieutenants or these these bad guys that are boss bad guys, but they're not villains, right? Yeah. Um, it's the king of the giants. You're not fighting the giants. 
you just ran afoul of him for a couple of sessions, mm-hmm. right? And then he died, right? And you guys ran afoul of some bullywugs, and then their chief died, right? And as as these kind of boss monsters are dying off, as long as they have some intelligence, have an undead um, lich or or a necromancer bring them all back and make your players fight them all at the same time when they're higher level. That Bullywug was a real problem at level 6. It's not at level 13, but he's got a fire giant buddy with him, and he's also got a, a centaur uh, that's undead, and there's an uh, Ifrit that you guys went yeah. up against and that you banished, and now he's back. Right? Have every devil and demon and angel that gets killed on the Prime Material Plane just goes back to where they come from. They go back to their plane and they get to try again. You can only kill them on their own plane. Recurring villains, even after death, is hugely powerful and frustrating. And one of the things that I'm currently doing in my Tuesday group is they just killed a warlock who um, who was uh, kind of a, a you know sub-boss level who's been kind of an annoyance in, in their backstories. And like, oh, hey, you know what? We killed him. We can move on to the next thing. We feel really good about ourselves. And then at the end of the session, after everyone had packed up, I said, well, wait a minute. There's an end credit scene to this session where this warlock steps out of a sarcophagus, bigger and angrier, and and his eyes are glowing. And he has on his chest the number six carved in. Like, well, wait a minute. Hold on. Can I investigate the body of the last guy? Yep. You found the number seven. Clone is a spell yeah. in Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. Drop extra bodies for your villains. Yeah, I, I shifting from that into the villains, the best big bad evil guys we we have seen in the campaign. Um, Adam, you were one of the instruments of giving me this idea, but uh, in my Friday night group, I have a villain named Mo, and I built him because a few of my players are critical role fans. And they love the current campaign, and so I threw a purple tiefling that worked at a circus at them and named him Mo. That means nothing to me. But it okay. means nothing to you. Terry's like, oh, Molly Mock. Mm-hmm. Right? And and he's this beloved character in the in the critter community. I don't love him. You're not in the critter community. He's, he's but a really good character. He's, he's a fantastic character. So I, I pulled this uh this warlock character in and the gave the players a session to uh cavort and uh, play in this carnival that this guy had where, uh, and then I s- showed his evil face to them, right? And he, he started summoning the, summoning the uh, forces of evil into this realm to do uh, enact this grand mission he had and set the players on a path to confront him. They killed him in the tent. And it was like uh, he was this boss monster. They killed him, and they're like, "Okay, so now that that guy's dead, we're gonna move on." And I gave him like three or four sessions, where they were killing weird, like they'd kill a displacer beast, and it would uh, erupt into a puddle onto the ground with this thick, like weak old jello film being the only thing of substance left. And I kept on doing this, and they're like, "What is going on?" And they would they would find these little clay tablets inside of these monsters that they would kill that would turn into this puddle. And then at the end of the last session, they uh, were attacked uh, just after their long rest because I, that was the best time to do it. And uh, this character, this purple tiefling with gems and everything else comes out 
from the shadows again and starts attacking them and starts having this discussion with them. And they're like, well, what did you do to the carnival? He's like, oh, that's the other one. And I'm starting to hint that this guy is just using simulacrum and using um, clones in various interesting ways. And like the wizard character in the party's like, oh, I see what's going on here. And I'm slowly leading them toward this. And because I've pulled from their personal joys of this character, Molly Mock, and then destroyed it. And then because I'm pulling from various other things of they want to be powerful. They want to feel like they're accomplishing something. But then I keep on just it's a puddle. And it's a puddle. And it's a puddle. Um, the players are getting f- more and more frustrated at this villain. And it's driving them together. Because there's a couple edgelords in the party. It's driving them together as a party to take this guy out because he's frustrating. Right? Um, and I'm having so much fun with it. And it's, one, and it's your inspiration. Because uh, I think you told me this story as well. A little bit that you were going to yeah. use clones. And, and hey, Dan, you should make this guy this way. Um, it's been really fun doing that. And... and yeah. Using simulacrum, use clones, use hey, use a body double, use a body use double, changelings yeah. and doppelgangers, and yeah. there are all sorts of uh, use a freaking illusion, right? You go to lop off the head of the emperor, and your sword just hits nothing, and because he's a freaking halfling that's standing in the way, because the real emperor is taken off, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like th- anyway, there are, there are lots of options. Did you have a final question that you wanted to get into? Well, or? no, I, I want to know what is the best big bad evil guy you guys have ever seen at a table. Hmm. Or in pop culture, we could we could go uh, beyond the table. I know as we well. said table. The one I w- really want to put across because it, it puts together a lot of points that I've talked about tonight um, is if anyone's ever seen the show Hell on Wheels. Yeah, Hell on Wheels, the Swede. Yeah, I love the Swede, who's Norwegian actually. Um, the, <laughs> the Swede because he's not the top guy initially. He's not the top guy. He's a lower down person. But he has this, uh, he holds a grudge and he's one of those vengeance driven people and he is truly creepy and relentless and will play on your emotions and what you were talking about, Adam, of that, he's, he's, he is quite intimate when he gets close to people and he kind of is the way he talks is just unsettling. But he's also so frustrating that people will make mistakes and all you want to do is get rid of him. And he's that relentless will not stop. Keeps coming back, keeps coming back, keeps finding a way, but it's not unfair how he does it. It He does it correctly. It makes sense. So, you know, it's not that if you use a character like that at a table, they would feel like they're being cheated. It's He's just terrifying because he will not stop. And he's yeah. so unsettling. But I, I love that big bad, the Swede. Oh, that's cool. Dan, what's yours? Um, well, I have this Mo character, but honestly, uh, from the tabletop specifically, Borgen. This arms dealer character. That was a Borgen. Oh, sorry. Uh, Bogdan. I always get the two confused. Uh, Bogdan, this uh, arms dealer character, has just been absolutely infuriating for me as a player to play but, against. But you personally, everybody else knows what's going on, but they don't care. They don't right? care. No, th- no. this is specifically me. And, and I love that you've kind of built this guy to target. And like th- he's doing a couple things that are challenging the metagame side of me as well. Whereas like, oh yeah, he's handing over these vials and me as Dan knows what they're for, but me as Lockie has no idea. Like you're twisting these things and and he is actually a decent person for the most part. At least he's coming across, across as a decent person. Um, so you've really made him an ally and it's it's going to be challenging when that coin gets flipped to the other side. 
And I, I think you've put done a lot of really good work building into this and, and pulling from the backstory and all these little tweaks. You've done the same with this, uh, with Granite or the, or Plymouth's or the shape changing, the shape changing Rakshasa that all of a sudden is everywhere at the same time. Like you, you actually had to do the reminder to me where you were like, okay, Dan, remember in your backstory, you said this. And I'm like, really? I wrote that a year ago. Okay. Now I need to review the stuff I wrote because you're clearly using it against me. So, uh, it's, um, it's really, really been inspiring for me to go to my players and start doing the same and demand the same kind of stuff. What about you? What do you got? I DM so much. I don't. I don't see big bad evil guys. I never get out of freaking tier one, right? <laughs> like every time that I'm a player, I'm the, oh, you hit level four and you're freaking done. Even in your your clear cut campaign, uh, that with with all those guys who hey guys, how's it going? I know half of you listen, but even in that, I ended up being the big bad evil guy. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, I was I was going to mention that as well. Like get a player to betray. It's that's tough to do. It's tough to do and have a have an out. But that's happened in multiple campaigns recently for me right now. But I don't know. I'm. I I feel like I'm, if I talk about big bad evil guys, I'm at the table and just toot my own horn. So I'm gonna grab something from uh, from pop culture. And this is gonna be controversial. Um, I think. Does anybody? Did you guys ever watch Deep Space Nine? Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Mm, that was the one that I did not watch. Then you were wrong as a person. Yes, oh, that was, was the one that you should have watched. That is my the one favorite you one watched, was. Yeah. Voyager. Voyager. Yeah. Uh, you yeah, would, you are wrong as a person. No, it, it's Voyager because you haven't seen um, Deep Space Nine. No. The, anyway, for those of you who don't know, there is a character in it who was a dictator. And this is in his backstory that before episode one starts, he is a dictator. Yes, penis potato. And <laughs> see, it's funny. Else says it, right? I've never thought of dictators being potato. No, it's all I hear. Um, anyway, so. Uh, but he, there was a, a, a population that was enslaved, and he saw the occupation of their home, and then left. Right before the episode one starts, he leaves. But he's still the point of contact for the good guys to have to deal with any time they're talking with this enemy force, who's pulled back, and we're allies now. But he's still there, and he's still grinning at you, and he knows he killed... The, the, the good guys by the tens of thousands. Goldicott? Goldicott, yeah. yeah. And he, he looks at you and he smiles and he goes, I know, you are living in my old home. I built it. And every once in a while something goes wrong and he has to come in to save the good guys. And he, you just hate him. He's slimy and he's gross and he's just so freaking smug. Mm. But he is on your side the entire time. And you just, you hate that you need to ask him for help. Yeah. And then it turns out that he has a change of heart in later seasons. I mean, spoiler alert, whatever. It's, it's 25 years nine. old. nine, come on. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, so, but he has a, he has a change of heart in, in later seasons where he's like, you know what? I'm going to follow the good guy's gods. And I'm going to do everything in my power to help their gods and to be a legitimate good guy. And then all of a sudden he goes, oh. But their evil gods really have the most power, so I'm going to back them instead. Mm. And he then, like, he's been on your team. He he was started as the bad guy. Then he was an ally that you hated. Then he was an ally that you needed. And then he was kind of an ally. And now he is the big, bad, evil guy. And nobody saw it coming. And it was absolutely fantastic. This character arc. And he's got, like, three or four episodes a season. Like, he's not really in a whole bunch. But every time that he's there... 
the status quo changes. Yeah. And that's what I really like about him is you're never sure where he stands. And um, that's why I think that he's probably one of my favorite villains. And, that, and he uses words as weapons. I think he straight up murders like two no-name characters in the entire show. But his troops are always doing it. And he's like, I can try to pull my troops back. But you know how troops get when they've got the bloodlust in them. Yeah. So it's, my hands are tied here, friends. There's not much I can do. I'll try. And every once in a while he does try. And every once in a while it does work. Yeah. And so you're like, ah, shit, is he on our side? Right? That's the perfect villain for me. Yeah. So I found him very frustrating when I was watching that show. Well, can you imagine that at, at a and d table where, where you have sat there? And you guys did this with Bruns. Right, where is he? He's his little, oh, his little constantly. Gnome. I didn't know whose side he was on. Yeah, he was consistently helping you and then pulling one over on you. I will give you that weapon that you desperately need, but I'm going to overcharge you for it. Yeah, and this is also where uh, deception checks, persuasion checks, things like that come into play because you got to check your meta ego. Your character is convinced that this person in this instance is telling the truth, even though yeah. as a player, I'm going, "What the fuck is going on?" Yeah, but but even as a DM, when you guys saw through through it, and I'd sit there and I'm like, I really want him to be ambiguous. He'd be like, Can you blame me for trying? Here's your gold back. It was just a joke, guys, right? And when you roll an insight, it was just a joke, but a joke that he's taking advantage of. Yeah, right. And he's a complex guy. And at in the last session where he was there. And there were all the bad guys and all the good NPCs. And there was like a mass execution about to happen. And they're going to bring forward the goddess of death. And there's just one specific person that needs to die. It was Bruns that stepped up and saved the freaking day. And everyone at the table went, fucking what? Yeah. What? And now we look back on him fondly as being this kind of fun, quirky character. But at the time, Jamie wanted to freaking punch me every time the Bruns came into the room, yeah. right? And, yeah. and I that was... kicked him. Yeah, you did. You kicked him in the face. Your first interaction with him. And he's like, ha I forgive you. I don't forgive you. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so... But also, who could blame him? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? And so I like the moral ambiguity of are they good, are they bad? Right? And I think that you need to know your players, but most importantly, you need to know your characters. Yeah. Right? And even your big bad evil guy is just another NPC. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the point we've hit over and over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah it really is. It, it's it's like just the just your NPC that you are specially attention attentive to as the DM. Like, and and that's kind of the way I view my big bad evil guys. Is they're they're the they scratch that itch of playing a character for me uh, that has some longevity to them mm. when I play my games. So. Uh, ladies and gents, thank you so much for listening to the It's a Mimic podcast. Um, catch us again next week um, when we are talking about... Uh, we're going to unveil one of the classes. Uh, I think it's going to be Rogues. I think it's going to be Rogues? Yeah. All right. Mm. Um, again, check us out next week. Uh, I have been Dan. I have been Terry. I'm still Adam. I don't know what's wrong with you guys. I, some, I like to play various characters as we play this game. And <laughs> change, change my accent a bit. You know how it goes. <laughs> just going all over the place. You're like me at a gaming table. Because I will straight up kill you if you carry on. Dan, Dan started Irish, went through Jamaican, and ended up in New Jersey. Yeah, he's uh, kind of yeah, he's kind of New York, New Jersey. We yeah. like to change over. They put a knife in my heart. <laughs> Anyways, uh, uh, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in uh catch us next week dictator <laughs> penis potato right yeah yeah
Thank you for listening to It's a Mimic. Check us out online at itsamimic.com or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have questions you would like answered by the guys on the show? Send them an email to itsamimic at gmail.com. Tune in every Tuesday for more. There's a picture of you upstairs, Shannon was showing. It's one of the great pictures of our group things. Your nipples are on full display. It's oh, fantastic. Oh, man. She's, she's like, I think I could blur those out. Dude, I got the most rebellious nipples as well, man. Mine are always going. Like, I feel you on that. It's the worst. How are nipples rebellious? No, because they're always they doing don't, what you don't want them to do. They, they, oh, yeah. Okay. okay. Well, yeah. no, you, you know what happened, right, is I ended up, um, I wasn't wearing a shirt, and I fell at the side of an uh, outdoor pool, and I scraped my chest. And my nipples are always hard now because I've done nerve damage. Scar tissue. Oh, yeah, nerve damage. I, I was I was like uh, nine or, or I was at a scout camp. Oh, so oh man. Anyway, <laughs> scar tissue, nipple tissue, scar, scar tissue nipples. That we can I just saw? Sarcastic missing. Good band. One of my yeah, favorites. I know. It is my favorite band. I didn't do that song justice there though. I did fine. I mean, you're not in. With the birds, I'll share this lonely view. Wow, you actually Whoa, hit it. Nicely right? done, nicely done. Years of practice in the shower. Yeah, yeah exactly.